Part Two of Salvage in Space by Jack Williamson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Glittering in the blue light, it looked unreal, incredible, a dazzling dream. He stopped among the fearful things that seemed gathered as if to, as if to guard it, and stared with wide eyes through the open faceplate of his helmet. He saw neat stacks of gold ingots, new, freshly smelted, bars of silver-white iridium, of argent platinum, of blue-white osmium, many of them thousands of pounds, Thad knew. He trembled at the thought of their value, almost beyond calculation. Then he saw the coffer lying beyond the piled, gleaming ingots. A huge box, eight feet long, made of some crystal that glittered with snowy whiteness, filled with sparkling, iridescent gleams, and inlaid with strange designs apparently in vermilion enamel. With a little cry, he ran toward the chest, moving awkwardly in the loose, deflated fabric of the osprey suit. Beside the coffer, on the floor of the hold, were literally a mountain of flame, blazing gems heaped as if they had been carelessly dumped from it, cut diamonds, incredibly gigantic, monster emeralds, sapphires, rubies, and strange stones that Thad did not recognize. And Thad gasped with horror when he looked at the designs of the vermilion inlay in the white gleaming crystal. Weird forms shapes of creatures somewhat like gigantic spiders and more unlike them demoniac things wickedly fanged jaws slavering executed with masterly skill that made them seem living menacing secretly gloating thad stared at them for long minutes fascinated almost hypnotically three times he approached the chest to lift the lid and find what it held, and three times the unutterable horror of those crimson images thrust him back, shuddering. Nothing but pictures, he muttered hoarsely. A fourth time he advanced, trembling, and seized the lid of the coffer. Heavy, massive, it was fashioned also of glistening white crystal and inlaid in crimson with weirdly hideous figures. Great hinges of white platinum held it on the farther side. It was fastened with a simple heavy hasp of the precious metal. Hands quivering, Thad snapped back the hasp, lifted the lid. New treasure in the chest would not have surprised him. He was prepared to meet dazzling wonders of gems or priceless metal, nor would he have been astonished at some weird creature such as one of those whose likenesses were inlaid in the crystal. But what he saw made him drop the massive lid. A woman lay in the chest, motionless, in white. In a moment he raised the lid again, examined the still form more closely. The woman had been young. The features were regular, good to look upon. The eyes were closed, the white face apparently very peaceful. Save for the extreme cadaverous pallor, there was no mark of death. 
with a fancy that the body might be miraculously living sleeping thad thrust an arm out through the opened panel of his suit and touched a slender bare white arm it was stiff very cold the still pallid face was framed in fine brown hair the fair small hands were crossed upon the breast over the simple white garment a queer ache came into his heart something made him think of a white tower in the hills near helion and a girl waiting in its fragrant garden of saffron and purple a girl like this the body lay upon a bed of blazing jewels it appeared thad thought as if the pile of gems upon the floor had been hastily scraped from the coffer to make room for the quiet form he wondered how long it had lain there it looked as if it might have been living but minutes before some preservative his thought was broken by a sound that rang from the open hatchway on the deck above the furious barking and yelping of the dog abruptly that was silent and in its place came the uncanny and terrifying scream that thad had heard once before on this flyer of mystery a shriek so keen and shrill that it seemed to tear out his nerves by their roots the voice of the haunter of the ship when thad came back upon the deck the dog was still barking nervously he saw the animal forward almost at the bow hackles raised tail between its legs it was slinking backward barking sharply as if to call for aid apparently it was retreating from something between thad and itself but thad searching the dimly lit deck could see no source of alarm nor could the structures upon it have shut any large object from his view it's all right thad called intending to reassure the frightened animal but finding his voice queerly dry coming on the double old man don't worry the dog had reached the end of the deck it stopped yelping but snarled and whined as if in terror it began darting back and forth moving exactly as if something were slowly closing in upon it trapping it in the corner but thad could see nothing then it made a wild dash back toward thad darting along by the wall as if trying to run past an unseen enemy thad thought he heard quick rasping footsteps then that were not those of the dog and something seemed to catch the dog in mid-air as it leaped it was hurled howling to the deck for a moment it struggled furiously as if an invisible claw had pinned it down then it escaped and fled whimpering to thad's side he saw a new wound across its hips three long parallel scratches from which fresh red blood was trickling regular scraping sounds came from the end of the deck where no moving thing was to be seen sounds such as might be made by the walking of feet with unsheathed claws something was coming back toward thad something that was invisible terror seized him with the knowledge he had nerved himself to face desperate men or a savage animal but an invisible being 
that could creep upon him and strike unseen? It was incredible. Yet he had seen the dog knocked down and the bleeding wound it had received. His heart paused, then beat very quickly. For the moment he thought only blindly of escape. He knew only an overpowering desire to hide, to conceal himself from the invisible thing. Had it been possible, he might have tried to leave the flyer. Beside him was one of the companionways amidships, giving access to the compartment of the vessel that he had not explored. He turned, leaped down the steps with the terrified dog at his heels. Below he found himself in a short hall, dimly lighted. Several metal doors opened from it. He tried one at random. It gave. He sprang through, let the dog follow, closed, and locked it. Trying to listen, he leaned weakly against the door. The rushing of his breath, swift and regular, the loud hammer of his thudding heart, the dog's low whines, then unmistakable scraping sounds outside. The scratching of claws, Thad knew. Invisible claws. He stood there, bracing the door with the weight of his body, holding the welding arc ready in his hand. Several times the hinges creaked, and he felt a heavy pressure against the panels. But at last the scratching sounds ceased. He relaxed. The monster had withdrawn, at least for a time. When he had time to think, the invisibility of the thing was not so incredible. The mounted creatures he had seen in the hold were evidence that the flyer had visited some unknown planet where weird life reigned. It was not beyond reason that such a planet should be inhabited by beings invisible to human sight. Human vision, he knew, utilizes only a tiny fraction of the spectrum. The creature must be largely transparent to visible light, as human flesh is radiolucent to hard X-rays. Quite possibly it could be seen by infrared or ultraviolet light. Evidently it was visible enough to the dog's eyes, with their different range of sensitivity. Pushing the subject from his mind, he turned to survey the room into which he had burst. It had apparently been occupied by a woman. A frail blue silk dress and more intimate items of feminine wearing apparel were hanging above the berth. Two pairs of delicate black slippers stood neatly below it. Across from him was a dressing-table with a large mirror above it. Combs, pens, jars of cosmetic cluttered it. And Thad saw upon it a little leather-bound book, locked, stamped on the back, Diary. He crossed the room and picked up the little book, which smelled faintly of jasmine. Momentary shame overcame him at thus stealing the secrets of an unknown girl. Necessity, however, left him no choice but to seize any chance of learning more of this ship of mystery and her invisible haunter. He broke the flimsy fastening. Linda Cross was the name written on the flyleaf in a firm, clear, feminine hand. On the next page was the photograph, in color, of a girl, the brown-haired girl whose body Thad had discovered in the crystal coffer in the hold. Her eyes, he saw, had been blue. 
He thought she looked very lovely, like the waiting girl in his old dream of the silver tower in the red hills by Helion. The diary, it appeared, had not been kept very devotedly. Most of the pages were blank. One of the first entries, dated a year and a half before, told of a party that Linda had attended in San Francisco, and of her refusal to dance with a certain man referred to as Benny, because he had been unpleasantly insistent about wanting to marry her. It ended, Dad said tonight that we're going off in the dragon again. All the way to Uranus, if the new fuel works as he expects. What a lark! To explore a few new worlds of our own. Dad says one of Uranus's moons is as large as Mercury, and Benny won't be proposing again soon. Turning on, Thad found other scattered entries, some of them dealing with the preparations for the voyage, the start from San Francisco, and a huge bunch of flowers from Benny. The long months of the trip through space, out past the orbit of Mars, above the meteor belt, across Jupiter's orbit, beyond the track of Saturn, which was the farthest point that rocket explorers had previously reached, and on to Uranus, where they could not land because of the unstable surface. The remainder of the entries Thad found less frequent, shorter, bearing the mark of excitement. Landing upon Titania the third and largest satellite of Uranus, unearthly forests sheltering strange and monstrous life, the hunting of weird creatures and mounting them for museum specimens, then the discovery of a ruined city, whose remains indicated that it had been built by a lost race of intelligent, spider-like things, the finding of a temple whose walls were of precious metals, containing a crystal chest filled with wondrous gems, the smelting of the metal into convenient ingots, and the transfer of the treasure to the hold. The first sinister note there entered the diary. Some of the men say we shouldn't have disturbed the temple. Think it will bring us bad luck. Rubbish, of course. But one man did vanish while they were smelting the gold, Poor Mr. Tom James. I suppose he ventured away from the rest, and something caught him. The few entries that followed were shorter, and showed increasing nervous tension. They recorded the departure from Titania, made almost as soon as the treasure was loaded. The last was made several weeks later. A dozen men had vanished from the crew, leaving only gouts of blood to hint the manner of their going. The last entry ran. Dad says I'm to stay in here today. Old dear, he's afraid the thing will get me, whatever it is. It's really serious. Two men taken from their berths last night. And not a trace. Some of them think it's a curse on the treasure. One of them swears he saw Dad's stuffed specimens moving about in the hold. Some terrible thing must have slipped aboard the flyer out of the jungle. That's what Dad and the captain think. Where they can't find it. They've searched all over. Well, musing and regretful, Thad turned back for another look at the smiling girl in the photograph. What a tragedy her death had been. Reading the diary had made him like her. Her balance and humor. Her quiet affection for Dad. 
the calm courage with which she seemed to have faced the creeping lurking death that darkened the ship with its unescapable shadow how had her body come to be in the coffer he wondered when all the others were gone it had shown no marks of violence she must have died of fear no her face had seemed too calm and peaceful for that had she chosen easy death by some poison rather than that other dreadful fate had her body been put in the chest to protect it and the poison arrested decomposition thad was still studying the picture thoughtfully and sadly when the dog which had been silent suddenly growled again and retreated from the door toward the corner of the room the invisible monster had returned thad heard its claws scratching across the door again and he heard another dreadful sound not the long shrill scream that had so grated on his nerves before but a short sharp coughing or barking a series of shrill indescribable notes that could have been made by no beast he knew the decision to open the door cost a huge effort of thad's will for hours he had waited thinking desperately and the thing outside the door had waited as patiently scratching upon it from time to time uttering those dreadful shrill coughing cries sooner or later he would have to face the monster even if he could escape from the room and avoid it for a time he would have to meet it in the end and it might creep upon him while he slept to be sure the issue of the combat was extremely doubtful the monster apparently had succeeded in killing every man upon the flyer even though some of them had been armed it must be large and very ferocious but that was not without hope he still wore his osprey suit the heavy fabric made of metal wires impregnated with a tough elastic composition should afford considerable protection against the thing the welding arc intended to fuse refractive meteoric iron would be no mean weapon at close quarters and the quarters would be close if only he could find some way to make the thing visible paint or something of the kind would stick to its skin his eyes searching the room caught the jar of face powder on the dressing table dash that over it it ought to stick enough to make the outline visible so at last holding the powder ready in one hand he waited until a time when the pressure upon the door had just relaxed and he knew the monster was waiting outside swiftly he opened the door thad had partially overcome the instinctive horror that the unseeing being had first aroused in him but it returned in a sickening wave when he heard the short shrill coughing cries hideously eager that greeted the opening of the door and the quick rasping of naked claws upon the floor sounds from nothingness he flung the powder at the sound a form of weird horror materialized before him still half invisible half outlined with the white film of adhering powder gigantic and hideous claws that seemed to reach out of empty air 
the side of a huge, scaly body, a yawning, dripping jaw. For a moment, Thad could see great hooked fangs in that jaw. Then they vanished, as if an unseen tongue had licked the powder from them, dissolving it in fluids which made it invisible. That unearthly, half-seen shape leaped at him. He was carried backwards into the room, hurled to the floor. Claws were rasping upon the tough fabric of his suit. His arm was seized crushingly in half-visible jaws. Desperately, he clung to the welding tool. The heated electrode was driven toward his body. He fought to keep it away. He knew that it would burn through even the insulated fabric of his suit. A claw ripped savagely at his side. He heard the sharp, rending sound as the tough fabric of his suit was torn, and felt a thin pencil of pain drawn along his body where a claw cut his skin. Suddenly the suit was full of the earthy fetor of the monster's body, nauseatingly intense. Thad gasped, tried to hold his breath, and thrust upward hard with the incandescent electrode. He felt warm blood trickling from the wound. A numbing blow struck his arm. The welding tool was carried from his hand. Flung to the side of the room, it clattered to the floor, and then a heavy weight came upon his chest, forcing the breath from his lungs. The monster stood upon his body and clawed at him. Thad squirmed furiously. He kicked out with his feet, encountering a great, hard body. Futilely he beat and thrust with his arms against the pillar-like limb. His body was being mauled, bruised beneath the thick fabric. He heard it tear again along his right thigh. But he felt no pain and thought the claws had not reached the skin. It was the yellow dog that gave him the chance to recover the weapon. The animal had been running back and forth in the opposite end of the room, fairly howling in excitement and terror. Now, with the mad courage of desperation, it leaped recklessly at the monster. A mighty, dimly seen claw caught it, hurled it back across the room. It lay still, broken, whimpering. For a moment the thing had lifted its weight from Thad's body, and Thad slipped quickly from beneath it, flung himself across the room, snatched up the welding tool. In an instant the creature was upon him again, but he met it with the incandescent electrode. He was crouched in a corner now where it could come at him from only one direction. Its claws still slashed at him ferociously, but he was able to cling to the weapon and meet each onslaught with hot metal. Gradually its mad attacks weakened. Then one of his blind, thrusting blows seemed to burn into a vital organ. A terrible, choking, strangling sound came from the air, and he heard the thrashing struggles of wild convulsions. At last, all was quiet. He prodded the thing again and again with the hot electrode, and it did not move. It was dead. The creature's body was so heavy that Thad had to return to the bridge and shut off the current in the gravity plates along the keel before he could move it. He dragged it to the lock through which he had entered the flyer 
and consigned it to space. Five days later, Thad brought the Red Dragon into the atmosphere of Mars. A puzzled pilot came aboard in response to his signals and docked the flyer safely at Helion. Thad went down into the hold again with the astonished port authorities who had come aboard to inspect the vessel. Again, he passed among the grotesque and outrageous monsters in the hold, leading the gasping officers. While they marveled at the treasure, he lifted the weirdly embellished lid of the coffer of white crystal and looked once more upon the still form of the girl within it. Pity stirred him. An ache came to his throat. Linda Cross, so quiet and cold and white and yet so lovely. How terrible her last days of life must have been, with doom shadowing the vessel and the men vanishing mysteriously one by one. Terrible until she had sought the security of death. Strangely, Thad felt no great elation at the thought that half the incalculable treasure about him was now safely his own as the award of salvage. If only the girl was still living. He felt a poignantly keen desire to hear her voice. Thad found the note when they started to lift her from the chest. A hasty scrawl, it lay beneath her head among glittering gems. This woman is not dead. Please have her given skilled medical attention as soon as possible. She lies in a state of suspended animation, induced by the injection of fifty minims of Zeronel. She is my daughter, Linda Cross, and my sole heir. I entreat the finders of this to have care given her, and to keep in trust for her such part of the treasure on this ship as may remain after the payment of salvage or other claims. Sometime she will wake, perhaps in a year, perhaps in a hundred. The purity of my drugs is uncertain, and the injection was made hastily, so I do not know the exact time that must elapse. If this is found, it will be because the lurking thing upon the ship has destroyed me and all my men. Please do not fail me. Levington Cross Thad bought the white tower of his dreams, slim and graceful in its Martian garden of saffron and purple, among the low ochre hills beside Helion. He carried the sleeping girl through the silver door where the girl of his dreams had waited, and set the coffer in a great vaulted chamber. Many times each day he came into the room where she lay, to look upon her pallid face and feel her cold wrist. He kept a nurse in attendance and had a physician called daily. A long Martian year went by. Looking in his mirror one day, Thad saw little wrinkles about his eyes. He realized that the nervous strain and anxiety of waiting was aging him, and it might be a hundred years, he remembered, before Linda Cross came from beneath the drug's influence. He wondered if he should grow old and infirm, while Linda lay young and beautiful and unchanged in her sleep, if she might awake after long years 
and see him only a feeble old man and he knew that he would not be sorry he had waited even if he should die before she revived on the next day the nurse called him into the room where linda lay he was bending over her when she opened her eyes they were blue glorious a long time she looked up at him first in fearful wonder then with confidence and dawning understanding and at last she smiled end of salvage in space this book recorded by phil shinnevere